Welcome. You're listening to Sunday Sermons from Catalyst Church San Diego, where we want to see our community, city, and world changed by the gospel. Welcome to Back to Church Sunday. Who's ready to get in the Word? Amen. This actually, Back to Church Sunday, it's something that was started in 2009. They were trying to address a, they were seeing a national decline in church attendance. So some church leaders got together and said, hey, let's separate a day where we just all encourage our churches and our people to just invite their friends, neighbors, community, different people to come to church. Come on back, and we'll call it Back to Church. Since then, on the third Sunday in September, they've, churches have been doing this, and they set aside this day to, to encourage everyone to attend a Bible-based church in their area. And nationally, I think we have seen, honest, we have seen a decline in church attendance. I think uh, part of that has to do with what I would describe as an overcorrection in culture. Where we have, in, where people look back and they see things and they say, okay, we don't like these things from our past. And, and so instead, what they do is just say, okay, well, we'll just get rid of everything from the past. And when, when they do that, you end up getting rid of things that were strong, fundamental, core parts of community, like church, where, where people gather together and they, where you build communities and they were foundational for, for uh, neighborhoods and communities. And we need to gather together. But functionally, I believe that more than that, more than our need to be in, our, in a community, we have a need individually, each one of us, to know and love God. We have a need to, to, in fact, the greatest need, I believe, for human beings is to know and experience the love of God in your life. And it, it outweighs everything by far. My, uh, my wife, she's been developing quite a green thumb. We have uh, this, she's gotten into plants and she's look, doing plants. We have uh, this glass sliding door separates our dining room from the patio. And so she started to line up some plants all along the, all along the, the sliding door. And, you know, with me, with plants, I just think there's some dirt, and you put the plant in, and there's light and water, and that's it. Done. But she's been doing what all, you know, all of us good people do nowadays. You start, where do you go? You go to YouTube. And so she starts looking at YouTube and starts researching all these things. And there, there are so, there's so much more to learn, much, so much more to know about plants. You know, see, I go and I'm trying to be helpful and I'm trying to water the plants. And, and she says, no, wait a minute, that one doesn't water that particular way. You got to water it this way. So, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And then I saw her one day, she's cutting like a, a, a piece of a plant. And it looks like a good piece. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Why are you cutting that? It's a good part. And she goes, no, I saw this on YouTube. And so she did this, put it in the vase with water. I'm like, well, there's no dirt in the water. Like, you're just putting it in? And so now, those, that, lo and lo and behold, is growing new roots. And so now she's going to replant that in. and do, So she's getting really good at this. And uh, it's interesting just how much, you, the more you know about something, there's so much more you should know, you can know. I think loving God is like that. You start off in the beginning and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He changes your life. And that is this, this incredible miracle. And, you, and you, you start to develop this love for God because he's loving you and he's filling up your life. 
But then as you grow, you find out there's so much more to know about God. What it, what it started off like, okay, I put my faith in Jesus. And then you start, as you grow, you start learning all the, you, you start seeing so much more. And there's so much, it's, it's exciting, all the, the contours and the details, like who God is. It's something you'll be doing for your entire life. And despite actually what culture will have you believe, I will let you know, they've done polls on this. And the majority of people do believe that God exists. But, however, there is a difference to believing that God exists and loving God. Those are two very different things. And the greatest need for people today is to know and experience the love of God in their life. And that comes through knowing him through Jesus Christ. But how can we as individuals, how can we as people develop a love in our lives for God? We're going to look at this. We are in Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, but if you are looking at the Pew Bible in front of you, we, it'll be page 900 in the Pew Bible. We are looking at Mark, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Mark 12, starting at verse 13, we'll go to 34. We're going we're gonna to actually hit three scenarios here in the Gospel of Mark. The first one is going to be an attempt, and the first scenario we're going to look at, this is an attempt to trap Jesus through authority struggles. And he's, he's going to, this is Jesus, he's going to be, he's going to be confronted by Pharisees and Herodians. Mark 12, verse 13 It says, then they, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the word of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Okay, so that's scenario one. I want you to remember that, hold that, put that in pin. And then we're going to go to scenario two. Scenario two is going to be a group called the Sadducees, and they're going to come and ask Jesus a question. In verse 18, Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies leaving a wife behind and, but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married a woman and dying left no offspring. The second also took her and he died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise. None of the seven left offspring. Last, last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be, since the seven had married her? Jesus spoke to them. 
Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. That's scenario number two. Scenario number one had the question about the coin, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, God what's God's. Scenario number two had the Sadducees in this question about marriage. We get to scenario three, and this will be the last one. Scenario three, verse 28. One of the scribes approached when, when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe says to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for what you teach through your word. God, I pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, today to hear what you would have us tell us, have us hear. Lord, guide my words, God, and may you get the glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We get three different scenarios in this text, three different scenarios, three different attempts from religious leaders, from actually some political people here too, three different attempts to try to trap Jesus, to try to trip him up, to try to stump him. And in all these, all these different scenarios, Jesus is ultimately going to point to one thing. He's going to point to the need for people to truly love God. He says it in three ways. The first way he says it is this way. He says, first thing he says, that we should love God by giving him what is his. Love God by giving him what is his. If you've been following with us at the church, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. We are at a place right now called the Passion Week or leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, the crucifixion, and then, of course, three days later, resurrection. And in this first scenario today, there is uh, two groups that are going to approach Jesus and confront him. They are Pharisees and Herodians. 
they're actually two groups that are probably pretty opposite, pretty at odds. The Pharisees represent would be the religious establishment in Israel. They would be the experts, the people that, who know the law, very strict to, to the Jewish law. On the other hand, from the Pharisees, you'd have the Herodians. Herodians are more like a political party. They're very sympathetic to the, to the dynasty of Herod, and therefore they're sympathetic to Rome. So if there's anything, if you imagine there's anything that can bring up a hot-button topic, is nothing like religion and politics. You thought that was brand new. That's been happening a long time. And they're asking him, so these two are getting together, they say, well, let's put this question to the rabbi. And they're asking him a question that's basically like a catch-22. You know, the catch-22 is this like no-win scenario that they put you in. They try this today, you get a very, you know, it'll be a very sensitive topic, and they'll try to corner a politician or somebody who's in some high office, and they'll try to get him to take a side one way or the other, and... and Either, either way you do this, you, you take this side, you're going to anger this group of people. If you take this side, you're going to anger this group of people. And, the, and so that's what they do in posing this to Jesus. And the way it starts is actually kind of interesting. They, they, the guy, he, they pose kind of this compliment slash not compliment. You ever heard one of these things? It's the way he says this in verse 14 they ask him, they say, teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks. It's like, is that a compliment? Not com that sounds kind of... Nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We'll get to that in a minute. But it starts with this statement, you don't care what anyone thinks. That really actually has more to do with them than it has to do with Jesus. Because if you look at the ministry of Jesus, if you're following in the, in his, in the Gospels, he, the, the group of people who he has the harshest criticisms for are the religious leaders. And so really, they're like, we, we know you don't care what we think because you offend us all the time. And they ask him this question to trap him. They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? To no win situation. On the one hand, what happens is, on the one hand, if he says, you know what we should do, we should pay taxes to Caesar. Or, or if, then what you're doing is, well, let's start the opposite way. Let's say you say, he goes, we should not pay taxes to Caesar. Let's say he starts there. Then what he's doing is openly defying Rome. He is basically putting a stake down. He is saying we, that we are against Rome, and, and he is against the authority. But on the other hand, if it says we should pay taxes to Caesar, then you're making the Jews upset. Now you're taking the side of the oppressive regime. You're not a friend to Israel. There's a, there's a cool meme online. I always spend too much time online. If... It's a Star Wars figure. He's got a fish head, and he's, it says, it's a trap. That's kind of what's happening here. I guess no one knows what that is. It's okay. <laughs> but the Lord, is, as he's there, he's, he, knows his, his, he knows the hypocrisy in front of them. He knows what's in the heart. 
What's so interesting, if you're looking in the, in the life of Jesus and how when he, when he talks to people, he knows what's inside a person. John 2.25, it's, John brings this out. He says that Jesus didn't need anyone to testify about a man because he knew what was in a man. Jesus knows the heart of people. So he says in verse 15, he says, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. Denarius is like, the, it is a Roman silver coin. It's about, it's about a day's wages in first century Israel. And if you get this coin, you look at it, it's likely at this point has an image of the emperor Tiberius. And it has an inscription in there that's referring to him as divine. Because they, the... Roman, the Caesar, is kind of a religious cult. So they bring Jesus a coin. It just, that just bring, adds a complication. The Jews weren't very happy about this. So they bring Jesus a coin. He asks them whose face and inscription on it. They say Caesar's. And then Jesus teaches them this powerful lesson. He says this in verse 17. Jesus tells them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. See, at the same time, what he does is he says, honor the authority structures that you are living in. You are, in under, you are under certain authority structures. Honor them. You could take that today. Honor the, honor the family structures that you are in. Honor the career structures that you are in. Uh, honor, live peaceably. With, as far as it's up to you, live peaceably within the authority structures that you are in. But don't forget who has the ultimate authority. Ultimately, we are all under the authority of God. And the Bible, it has kind of this different perspective on the human condition than the culture has. See, culture will tell you that you are an autonomous, free being, that you can basically do what you want, that if you want to uh, rebel, you want to express your freedom through, rebel, you, through rebellion, you should do that because no one can tell you what to do. Live freely. If you want to refuse to conform, refuse to conform. But the Bible will give you a different perspective. It'll talk about it differently. The Bible will say, you know what? You already conformed to something. The Bible says that apart from him, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, the, the autonomy and the rebellion and the freedom that you think that you're expressing, it's not freedom at all. It's slavery. It is a slavery to something that the Bible calls sin. And in, from a biblical perspective, each human being is bound to either one thing or another. But see, when you, if we have this, this problem of sin within the human condition, people created perfectly, fell into sin, and that sin has plagued humans. And in essence, you've kind of become servants of either two things. You're a servant of either the sin in your life or you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and there's this positional change in your life. God does this, does this brand new work within you. And you shift positionally from being a servant of sin to a servant of him. Bible actually describes this this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. He's 
Paul is speaking to Christians, the people who have who have given their life to Christ, and there is this there's this born again, they, they are brand new. He says this in verse 19, he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Holy Spirit is doing this work in you. Whom you have from God. And then listen to what he says. He says, You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, when when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is this transformation in your life. You become a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. There is this born-again experience. But there is, that came... It is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift to humans, but it is a came at a big price to God. And we and he, for he gave his life for us on the cross. Therefore, as Christians, we love God by giving him back what is already his. It's already his. He owns it. See, imagine you think of it this way. Imagine you had a close friend. The close friend, what he does is this close friend has bought this brand new luxury, wonderful car. It's it's like the car of your dreams. And whatever that car is, I don't know, so I'm not going to try to put it in there. But it's it's an incredible car. You love it. And what he does is he loans this car to you for a week. And you get the car, you are, you are like, you're just driving it, you're loving it, you are, you take, it's brand new, so you're keeping it clean, you, you drive it carefully, you are getting it waxed and everything, you, you just love this, you, you fill up, either you fill up, you fill up the gas tank or it's California, maybe you charge it in the wall socket, I don't know what you do, one of these two things, whatever it is, and you bring it back to your friend, you hand your friend the keys, and the, and your friend, is, your friend says, wow, you took good care of the car I gave you. Now, you wouldn't tell your friend, you know, since I had this car for a week, now it's rightfully mine. You don't own it anymore. I mean, you know, registration is still in his name. The, the, uh, he's got all the receipts for it. He owns the car. You won't try that, but at the end of the day, you're not, you're not going to try that because you're so appreciative to your friend for loaning it to you in the first place. And with God, everything that we have is his. We're born into this reality. We didn't create it. We have these bodies that didn't come from us. We, everything that we have is the Lord's. And as we grow in our love for God, we realize that it's all his in the first place anyway. And we love God by giving back to him what is his. Well, second, second thing that he teaches us here is to love God through knowing more about him. Love God through knowing more about him. You get to the second scenario. Now, in the second scenario is that he gets confronted by a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees are people particularly that don't, belong, that don't believe in the resurrection, which is why they are sad, you see. I just love that joke. Every time it's Sadducees. We know about this group. There's a group in Israel. We know about them through New Testament. We don't know too much about them. They're definitely another school of thought in Israel. But they had different convictions, and they definitely disagreed on resurrection. 
In fact, their disagreement actually sound, sounds a lot like folks today, where they believe that once a person died, the soul died with the body, and that was it. They were done. So they came up with a scenario. It's interesting when kind of you've got like this, this position, and then you just kind of create scenarios to try to justify your thought, right? This is what they do. They, they go and they quote, they get... They quote Moses. It's, it's uh, something from Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. It's a law in there where if a man dies and leaves a wife behind, it's the duty of the brother to, to, uh, to carry on the, with the wife so that there's a child. So they come up with a scenario. What they do is hoping to expose a contradiction in the law. They say that there is this man. He has a wife. The man dies. And so the brother comes, and the brother comes, and he marries a wife, and then that brother dies. Another brother comes, and he marries a wife. She dies, and he goes on. There's like seven brothers. This is the unluckiest woman in the world. It's not my scenario. theirs. I don't know. And so in, a, in an attempt to express a contradiction, they ask Jesus in Mark 12, 23. They say, well, then, all these guys died, and then she died. So in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven married her? It's, it you know, kind of reminds me of people, some folks today, who will, know, who will know just enough scripture to get things completely wrong. You know, you, you go, you tell a friend, you tell them, you know, I am a Christian and I am a Bible-believing Christian now and you'll have some conversation with them and then maybe they'll, they'll say something. You know, they, they don't know a lot of scripture, but they'll, they'll like quote, they know this one. They'll say, well, uh-uh-uh, you know, do not judge or you will be judged. I know that's in the Bible somewhere. Or they come up with statements that they think sound, they sound religious and biblical. You know, they kind of, you know, they got a Christian friend, so they want to, they come up and they say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. In case you're wondering, not in the Bible. Or as a sister brought up recently, um, you know, a lot of times at funerals, they do a little funeral, and the, um, they will be saying, they'll say something, and it's meant to like be comforting, right? And they'll say, well, they're looking down at us now. And that feels comforting to say, but just biblically, from a biblical perspective, there's just there's nothing in the Bible that would cause us to believe that there's masses amounts of people looking down on us. And in fact, it's, it's really not knowing the Scriptures and misunderstanding the power of God. Because it's not as if God needs a whole bunch of people like looking down and just says, hey, if you guys see anything, just let me know. I'll be in the back. I'm playing golf. Just reach out to me. Text me. Do they have text? I don't know. Well, actually, what the Bible says is that you know, billions of people in the world, the Bible says God sees you, that God knows you individually, each person, that he doesn't need a whole bunch of people looking down because he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. He sees us. And in fact, this is exactly what Jesus says. He says to the Sadducees in Mark 12, 24, he says, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? 
You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He says, you, don't, you know why you're mistaken about the resurrection? You don't know God. You profess to know a lot, but you don't know God's word. You don't know his power. You don't know the power of God in a life. A guy named Paul, he describes, he's writing a letter to uh, Timothy, a young man named Timothy. Timothy is a man who, when he grew up, he had a, we know in scripture, he had a godly mother, a godly grandmother, two people who taught him about faith. And it says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So if you're wondering, like, how do we, how do we begin to correct faulty thinking? How do you know, I've been, I've been kind of confused. How do we, God has left us his word. He's left us his word to communicate to human beings to tell them there is a God that loves you, a God that cares for you, and ultimately to point you to Jesus Christ. Because it's through faith in him that he will change your life. And one thing that's interesting I see over and over is that people underestimate the power of God to change a life. And when, uh, and when you... When you experience God's change in your life, when you know him, when you, have, when you have put your faith in him, it's incredible. It's radical. And you want to know him more. And I was remembering, I started dating my wife. We were in high school. And when you saw us, we were always together. It was like, you know, they talk about puppy love. It was, we were, it was always, you saw Jason, you saw Jeanette. And we'd be on the phone, you know, you, you do this when you're dating, right? You're on the phone for hours, and I guess, was it? I guess it was one of those phones with the cord. I don't remember. Maybe it did. Maybe it wasn't. I'm old. But we'd be on the phone for hours. You know, the more I knew about her, the more I wanted to know her. And we'd be together all the time. We were in love. And we... Uh, this year, we've been, in total, we've been together for 30 years and married 26 years. And we're still learning things about each other. We're still in love. I still want to know her more, and somehow, by incredible acts of grace, she somehow still puts up with me. See, when you love someone, you want to know them better. You want to know them more. And when the love of God works in your life, when, you, when you've seen this change in your life, when he, when he transforms you, it, the, the love of God starts to fill your life. And you say, man, I want to spend more time with him. I want to know him more. So we love God by giving back to him what is his. We love God by knowing more about him. And last, we love God by opening our hearts to him. We get to the last scenario in Mark 12. It starts in verse 28. There is a scribe 
that comes to Jesus. Scribes are people, they were employed for their ability to read and to write. Um, They would copy biblical manuscripts. Many of them, they were experts in the law, so many of them would be teachers. It says that one of the scribes heard what uh, Jesus has been debate how, how he's had these interactions, these debates with, you know, when the Pharisees and Herodians came, when the uh, Sadducees came. And so the, he has this question that's burning within him. Now, given the previous two scenarios, right, we're in the third scenario, is maybe a question to try and stump Jesus. But sometimes when that happens, it's also maybe a very genuine question. Maybe something like, well, this question really stumps me. I don't, I don't know the answer to it, so I'm going to ask him. It'll probably stump him, but like, in case he does have an answer for this, I'm actually really curious too. So he goes to Jesus in Mark 12, 28, and he asks him a question. He says, which command is the most important of all? Now, Jews had tons of commands. They had the ten commandments, the ones that we, we were familiar with, right? You know, there's ten commandments, but there's actually a lot more, a lot more of laws and procedures, things with sacrifices and offerings and a lot of different things. But even if you're just looking at the ten, you go to the ten commandments and you say, okay, out of these ten, which one should I really focus on? What should I pay attention to? You know, um, not having a, idols before God, that seems important, but you know, maybe it's also honor your father and mother. Maybe there is, um, is that as important? Do I giving, not giving false tenemy, testimony? Stealing. So that you look at these and he's asking this question, what should I really focus on? What, if out of all of this, what should I pay attention to? So Jesus, this is his answer. He says this in Mark 12, starting in verse 29. Jesus answered, he says, this is the most important commandment. The most important is, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sum up all the commands I'll put it all together for you. This is what you should really focus on. Listen to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. All the scenarios really boil down to that. Really, this Remember the Roman coin, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, what give to God, what's God, what's God's. That means love him enough to give him back what's his. Love him with all your mind, soul, heart, strength. Or the Sadducees with this question about, uh, with their need to know the scriptures, to know the power of God. You want to know, know him more? Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. But on the question, is an interesting question about the question of loving God. What does that look like? The, the, the interesting thing in scripture is that loving God doesn't actually start with us. It actually actually starts with him. He loves us first. Our love for him is a reaction. It's a reaction to what he has done already. Paul says this in Romans 5.8. He says, but God proves his own love for us in that 
while we were still sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we pushed against him, while we wanted nothing to do with him, Christ died for us. See, the cross is God's love letter to humanity. It's right there. You know, I'm, in one of my seminary classes, I took a preaching class in seminary. I took a couple, actually. And the student, one of the students in the class said, you know, at some point in Jason's sermons, you're going to take a trip to New York City. So here we go. Um, <laughs> New York City, I grew up in New York, many of you know. And there are these, if you walk in New York City, there are these tall buildings. They're skyscrapers. They're huge. They go way up into the sky. And you can walk in Manhattan, in midtown Manhattan, in the middle of the day, and it, you know, the sun is out, but you walk the whole time down the street in shade because the skyscrapers are blocking the sun. In fact, actually, when I moved to San Diego, I I had, to get, I had to get used to it. Uh, the you know, roads are wide. There's no tall buildings. And I said, wow, the sun is bright. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And I think of God's love like this big, tall, beautiful building. The building is right there. It's tall. It's beautiful. It is obvious for everyone to see. Yet so many people never go into the building. So many people like to sit in the shade. They spend their time in the shade. They think of like, hey, what might it be like to go inside there maybe? But, uh, you know, they try to recreate it, but they just, they never actually know what it is. They just sit, they're just in the shade. And the shade is not like being in the building. If you're in the building, there's this incredible experience. You go inside, there is, there is contours to it. There's, it's wonderful. But so many people sit on the outside and only experiencing the shade. See, but in front of the building stands a man. He's glorious. And he stands there and he's waving you in. He says, come in. You know what? Actually, it's really expensive to come in here. It costs a huge price. But I know you. I see you. I love you. And so I paid your price. Come on in. Know what it's like to be inside God's love. There's a beautiful verse. Many of us know it. If you, if you grew up in church, you heard this and may, may have memorized it. It's John 3.16. Tells us this. John tells us, he says, God, for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. This is how he did this. That he gave his one and only son and so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, the beautiful thing about, you know, this question, this question we had about loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, is that that doesn't start with us. It starts with a God who loved you so much who loved you intensely, passionately, 
who loved you not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you're such a good person. He did it simply because he loves you. He went to the cross so you don't have to be someone who sits outside in the shade. He went to the cross so that you can enter in and that you can know what it's like to be in God's love through faith in him. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that you can know what it is to have real life, have this transforming work within you. And see, when you put your faith in Jesus and you grow in him, you know what it's like to give back to God what is his because you, you love him. You know what it's like to know more about him because he's doing, God's love is working in you and it's incredible. And you open your heart to him and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you all my days. Thank you for loving me. And I want to walk with you always. Our greatest need is to know the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that for you, that you would open your minds, open your heart, open your soul, open your strength to the love of God in your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons from Catalyst Church San Diego. If you're in the San Diego area, we would love for you to visit us. Our church is at 6038 Cumberland Street in San Diego, California. We meet every Sunday for our worship service at 1030 a.m. You can reach us anytime by visiting our website at CatalystChurchSD.org or emailing us at info at CatalystChurchSD.org.